mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We're underway with Thursday's edition of Off Air. I'm sounding semi-professional and brisk because we've been told we have to be tight tonight, Jane. It's almost as if they think we waffle on. <laughs> Imagine. I won't have it. <laughs> Imagine. Just not possible. Now, um, on the Times Radio show, we did allude to the fact that you do have an amazing social life. You're always out and about. And Certainly last... that, is, that is the impression I like to but, well, convey to people. That is the view I have and of you. I, I'm not going to ever tell you when I sit on my sofa watching Netflix with a bowl of shreddies because that would be very off-brand. So it never happens, listeners, okay. ever. Do you have a hairnet on? <laughs> You've got immaculate hair as well, I've got to say. Um, what, uh, would that really be your cereal of choice? No, I don't even have any... I don't have shreddies in the house. I don't have food mm. in the house. It's uh, very off-brand. Don't you? <laughs> no, I do. Um, but I'm just not letting you into the, oh, okay. the real world of Jane Mulcairn. Occasionally. I'm going to keep it shiny. Have a bucket of Alpen, uh, <laughs> sugar-free, uh, with full-fat milk and um, in place of a meal. And that's great. Oh, yeah. No, that's I mean, if I, if, I do, if I do get home and need an urgent dinner mm. um some crumpets out the freezer oh yeah usually with maybe a bit of cheese on a bit of cheese yeah. just, i always have a couple of slices of cheese just to celebrate getting in <laughs> i just think that's like you welcome, know how to live welcome home open the fridge if i don't have any peanuts a couple of that's why i buy the packets of sliced cheese the home cheese welcome home cheese <laughs> So anyway, last night, yes. I didn't have any welcome home cheese, nor indeed any shreddies. Um, I went to a screening at BAFTA, darling, Yes, uh, of the final episode of the brilliant True Detective, the show on Sky slash HBO. And Jodie Foster, the star of the show, Jody was there. Jodie herself. Jodie yeah. herself, along with her co-star Kayleigh Reese and the director, Issa Lopez. And they were formidable women. Um, and Jodie was just, she was just a total superstar. She had drinks with us all. She gave a great Q&A. Yeah, so I'm a big fan, even bigger fan than I ever was before. I, I think is she quite anglophilic? Anglophilic and francophilic. Because oh, yeah. I was told that she was she did all of her interviews in France during this week in French. Gosh, she's very impressive. Can I just pick up on one bit of her performance though, which I wonder if anybody else has got issues with? Because Robert Crampton and I have been discussing it today in the show. Down on the eleventh. So I don't want to give down down on the. Well, you know how buildings work now. Down. Yeah, no, I, no, you've really floor. explained it. I, I've, I've, I feel as though I've grown this week. <laughs> Up down. Um, so I don't want to give anything away, but there is a, a scene in the show where Jodie has sex with Christopher Eccleston. Um, so she's and, heterosexual in the. Well, I suppose. No, yes. I was yes. just thinking. I'm not even sure. Has Jodie Foster played a gay woman? On... Yes, in Nyad recently. Oh, has she? Okay. Benning. Right. Yeah. Um, Yes, um, and probably maybe some others, but definitely yeah. that one recently. But um, so she's playing a heterosexual police officer, 
police chief and she has uh, this long running affair with Christopher Eccleston and they're having sex but she keeps her bra on and Robert Crampton and I were just saying I, I understand why actresses don't necessarily want to be topless in all scenes mm. but bra sex is really ridiculous um, and it used to annoy me about Sex and the City but which I know on. you've never seen isn't but... it cold where the, this series is set <laughs> in Alaska they're in a hotel room all the other clothes are off they're oh. not you know they're not just kind of I'm not even going to say it, but they're not just sort of, you know, slipping their trousers down quickly. You know, all the other clothes are off, but mm. the bra's on. And Sarah Jessica Parker used to do this in Sex and the City. She was always wearing her underwear while in sex scenes. And I just think, you know, unless it is very cold or or, or, or you're on the, t- on the timer, yeah. you know, if you're on a very on tight... On the clock. On the clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On the clock. Um, you know, generally your bra comes off, even if it's half off. Anyway, I just feel that it's a bit jarring when you're watching a sex scene and that it's a bra on sex scene. Okay, I'm just going to throw it out there. Bra sex. Your views, please. Jane and Fee at Timestop Radio. I knew we'd get here after we've had a relatively <laughs> smart free, if you can call this smart, a uh, couple of days. But just at the last minute there, Mulcairins has let a family down and the Catholic Church, I'm going to say. Uh, and, and Sister Susan. And Sister Susan. Yeah, and the Reformer Pilates teacher. They'll all be listening and they'll be blushing on your behalf. It does seem odd, but I feel I can't give a well-rounded opinion because I haven't seen the show. Would I, if I'd seen the show, find it jarring? I don't know. Maybe you need to watch it and okay. then come back, report back. Right, and Christopher Eccleston's in it, is he? Mm. Um, is that a draw for you? Not, No, not really. No. Um, He's but very good in it. He was so good in... What was that show that we all watched back in the Our 90s? Friends in the North. Our Friends oh, in the North. What a show. Well, no, Gina that, McKee Gina and McKee, him. Daniel and Craig. Daniel Craig. Gosh, that was an amazing It really was. Yeah. Why was it so good? Because there was very little else that was good on telly at the time. Okay. Yeah, Teddy's got a lot better. But it was still very good. But I think if we watch it now, we think, that was good. Mm. But is it Mad Men? Well, I don't know. I've never seen Mad Men either. <laughs> As you told me earlier, you read books, don't you? I do. <laughs> well, I read books, have a bath, listen to the radio. <laughs> I'm a really interesting person, <laughs> honestly. Uh, yes, go on. Can I, shall I read... Um... Oh, special guest oh. today. Oh. The King of the Cobblers, James Timpson. <laughs> Brilliant. Um since we've already started on a smutty theme, I'm just going to yeah. carry on in that vein, if that's yeah. OK, um, because this is the best title of an email received in some days. Antisocial rummaging yeah. is the title of it the is email. Um, so Zoe, our lovely correspondent, says, regarding men and antisocial rummaging in the trousers. As a mother of two sons, I've encountered a fair amount of fiddle faddling over the years. And now, if I see my 10-year-old having an absent-minded tweak, I look at him pointedly and ask him, is it still there? This is usually enough to evoke a sheepish grin and an end to the fiddle. I wonder whether this approach would perhaps work in other situations with grown-up man-childs. I mean, I don't know. Can you ask a stranger to stop fiddling? Uh, I mean, maybe. I've actually started to offer sniffing men tissues on trains. Oh, it's funny you mention that. I did ask somebody the other day, do you have a cold? So passive-aggressive. Yeah, this guy was sitting opposite me with earbuds in mm. and obviously had no idea how loudly he was sniffing. And after about 20 minutes of it and me sort of sighing a bit heavily, in the end, I, I fished in my bag and I gave him a big smile and went, would you like a tissue? In a very upbeat way. And he <laughs> pretended to look grateful. It was really good. <laughs> he was seething, wasn't Absolutely he? Absolutely seething. But I've been so cheerful. All he could say was thanks. 
That That's an interesting one. Uh, is it just that men and boys maybe are never encouraged to leave the house <laughs> with a tissue? I, <laughs> I never know. go anywhere no. without a tissue. Absolutely not. Because I'm quite a clumsy person. I get sauce around my mouth. I get sauce down my shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing most of my lunch. Yeah, I always yep. get daubings everywhere. So, and I, you know, I'm genuinely, I'm a company, generally, I'm a company by a wet wipe. Or two. In the summer, I've got wet wipes in my bag. Because okay. dirty feet. When you're in London. Yeah, that was bit, that's too much. Now. Sorry. <clears throat> it's getting very personal. Um, this is an anonymous email and we haven't got time to read it all because if I did start to read all of this, I swear I'd be here until midnight. But thank you for being such a game correspondent and including so much information. But actually, a part of the email is about what it's like to be at the stage in life where you have older people on your mind and frankly, often on the phone. And our correspondent says here, I was I knew 2024 was going to be a challenging year. Both my in-laws have got serious health issues. Dad-in-law is in the middle to end of Alzheimer's. Mum-in-law is dealing with heart, lungs and diabetes uh, while being his full-time carer. I mean, that you know, it's, it's an astonishing ask that. And I don't think it's that uncommon. No, absolutely not. It really isn't. Anyway, thankfully, they have agreed to move closer to us. A couple, they agreed to move closer to us a couple of years ago. So it is only a 20 minute drive to get to them. Whether that's helping mum with computer issues. Yes, my mother-in-law also has a weekly problem with either her printer or losing something from her iPad. Don't get me started on trying to explain the cloud to somebody of 82. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'm the taxi service to get her to hospital appointments while my husband dad sits and I also occasionally respond to calls at five o'clock in the morning things like I can't turn the stopcock off and the house is flooding and my favourite so far dad has super glued his hands together <laughs> uh, at that point I was just about to go to my daughter's Christmas concert and my husband was in London on the works Christmas jolly Gosh, uh, yes. I mean, life can present a whole series of challenges when you've got older people in your life at that stage. And I just want to say, uh, you know, shout out to you for yeah. being there and for and for dealing with absolutely everything. Um, she does say, what lucky parents they are yes, to have you. That's true, actually. Well, their parents in law. Parents in law. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she does parents, yeah. add a PS. One of my actually, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Um, yes, quickly. Going to plough. On again with men grabbing their genitalia and then oh, I'm yes. going to leave it. Then I'm going to leave it alone. Okay, right. Um, dear Jane and Jane, I was listening to Monday's podcast regarding the need for men to touch their genitalia whilst in public and especially when talking to women, which frankly I find both annoying and unnecessary. Lo and behold, says our listener, I paused your podcast while I went into the shop here in Mallorca, where I now live, to collect some tile samples. I was led into a male-dominated workshop to see a fella who, guess what, felt the need necessity to do exactly that whilst handing me over said samples all i could think was oh now i have to touch these tiles knowing where his hands have been um so she does go on to talking about a bed but i would just like to say thank you a for relating that yeah fairly disgusting story and also uh, our listener says she's just moved to mallorca where she's starting a new life and how fabulous is that um karen if you come across my friend claire who's an interior designer who's also just started a new life in mallorca she'll definitely probably know some places you can get tiles where men don't touch themselves because she's very good like that 
That's a good strap line for a shop, isn't it? They could say, we sell tiles and our male shop assistants <laughs> don't touch themselves. <laughs> it's not that catchy. Here are our opening hours. You need a front for that. <laughs> for that name. You would. <laughs> Maybe a double-decker of a name there. It's such... It, it doesn't seem Touch a lot... Touch-free tiles. <laughs> it's very good. It doesn't seem a lot to ask. It's not that much. Uh, Maybe there could be some training. Wouldn't take that long. Yeah. Just to say, maybe don't touch yourself at the same time as handing over the tiles. Kate is in Somerset. I've just heard you saying, Jane, that you generally lean towards being supportive of Meghan and Harry, but sometimes they make it difficult for you. (laughs) Yes, I did say that, and I do still stick to that. Thank you for voicing that opinion, as I do feel the same, but I'm pretty sure I'm in a minority. I feel strongly that none of us can sit in judgment upon them. We don't know them personally, and yet they seem to be fair game for ridicule, whatever they do, and also often, too often, the target of vicious opinions and comments uh, to keep this short even though the way they go about things will sometimes make me cringe and think no you're just giving people further ammunition i do wish them well and hope that one day they'll find what truly suits them and that the distasteful and obsessive interest in them calms down do you know i don't think there's any sign of it calming down right no. now and of course some people will say well that's their fault it's difficult know. isn't it because everyone's the hero of their own story and i'm quite sure in the sussex's mind you know, they're, they're, they're trying to do everything right. Because I don't yes. think they're deliberately setting out to antagonise people or be provocative. I mean, you know, I'm sure well, they just probably they think to... naming their children Sussex, like we had a story today, yeah. is a nice thing to do to unify their family. I mean, nobody sees their own motives in any other way than entirely no. positive, do they? So no, they don't. it's all about perspective. It is. And, um, yeah, I just think, you know, just give them a bit of... Uh, just give them some space. But then, of course, at the same time, they both want their privacy and, and then they seem to want attention. So I genuinely do struggle mm. with my view yeah. on them. But I refuse to be the Harry and Meghan a terrible camp because I can't be that black and white about it. I just... I won't be. No. I, I'm just reserving the right to... Sit on the fence. Completely perch on the fence. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Give Absolutely. them a fair hearing. Well, they, I mean, yes. Give them a fair hearing with their massive Netflix. You know. Jane. Anyway, right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> we've had a lovely email. It's quite long. I'll get through as much as I can because it's a great email from Jean um, called Olden Days. Dear Jane, Jane, M and Fee. Regarding your recent musings about how reporters in the field in the olden days used to get their stories to the news desk via copy takers, sent me right back to my decades travelling up and down the South Wales valleys in rain, shine and everything in between. The importance of knowing the location of every payphone box in the area was as vital to the local reporters as it is to London taxi drivers to have complete command of the knowledge. With two deadlines to meet each day, it was sometimes hair-raising to go to the nearest phone box first of a breaking story was emerging. And the feeling of elation of having got there ahead of some snooty superior reporter from the broadcasting media was beyond compare. So we can take it that Gene is print, not broadcast. And sometimes just minutes to go to deadline, you would find yourself cobbling together a few paths to read over to the world-weary copy takers while gagging from the inevitable stench of urine filling the phone box. Oh. Oh, the glamour of being a journalist, she says. Also, you would have to contend with a queue of locals angrily tapping on the glass, glass mouthing not always politely, how much longer are you going to be? <laughs> oh, I, I would find that such, such a pressurised working schedule. I really would. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. deal with it. Yeah, I mean, I think you had to really think on your feet. Mm. It was about speed as much as anything else. So did you have it in your head and then you'd recite it or do you do it in shorthand on a notepad and then read it out? I think some people who were very good probably just did it in their heads. I always had to write notes because I just couldn't, 
order my thoughts that well. But I think very good news reporters could just download it from their brain and speak mm. it to copy takers, which, you know, if you've only got a few minutes before deadline, yeah. you'd have to. Um, Jean would like to talk, one memorable occasion, she says, comes to mind when the safety net of the of the subs, um, who would, you know, correct things if you got it wrong, was temporarily hold. Um, so basically she'd been sent to the Ronda Valley to cover a press conference uh, concerning the hunt for a violent criminal. Detective in charge of the search issued a warning to the public not to approach the highly dangerous man but to contact the police. Her colleague managed to get to the nearest phone box with seconds to spare to read out the latest on the manhunt to the waiting copy taker just in time for the first edition. Later, back in the district office, we eagerly awaited for our early copies to arrive, only to find that somehow the dire warning for the DI now read, we're warning the public not to approach this dangerous man as he is known to keep mice down his trousers. <laughs> Right. Of course, it should have read knives. Yeah, I mean, that would never happen anymore in newspapers. No. Absolutely no errors whatsoever. Well, except in some of them, because they're always put in the, yes. we all know the one. We all know the anyway. Um, anyway, Jean is now 75 and she says she looks back on those news-gathering adventures with huge affection and still has a chuckle over my skate. Thank you very much, <laughs> Jean. And I'm sure that, yeah, I mean, I can imagine the stories abound from those days yeah. when you're running around, you know, without the sort of backup of I mean, laptops. Oh, and... gosh. I mean, frankly, I've got immense respect for Jean because I bet she does look at the way journalists operate today and just think that's a piece of absolute piddle compared to what I was up against. Yeah, there was no Wikipedia. You couldn't look anything up. You couldn't check any facts. This thing, I try and explain to my young colleagues that when I first started in radio, we have no emails. Um, you, you were lucky if you got a, a phone call and you could patch it through the desk. The trouble I had with the Lempster studio in Herefordshire, you wouldn't, you honestly, you wouldn't believe it. And um, the idea of that immediacy, the link between a live radio show and the listening public didn't exist. No. I used to get a farmer who'd come in with some cream once a fortnight <laughs> and I would get some letters. And thank goodness for that, by the way. I kind of miss letters. Aww. So do feel free. Yeah, it's time. I sometimes get letters downstairs on the eleventh yeah, floor. Generally, not positive ones. So it has no, to be said. Well, I'm sure you have many, many admirers. Well, actually, can I fan mail Claxon to you? But you, you, you do an email first. But I've got some fan mail here for you. Well, no. Um, I just wanted to say that Claire emailed to say. Jane and Jane, I was hoping to hear your thoughts on the death of Steve Wright. And actually, Claire, um. It, did, it broke, didn't it, that awful, and it was genuinely awful and shocking news. It broke while Jane and I were talking to each other, um, and actually I, I was so shocked by it that we stopped the podcast and we didn't actually, I think I then referenced it, referenced it right at the very end of the podcast because, um, you know, it's it's been a genuinely very sad week uh, for all of us who just love radio and love the form of radio and love the way that certain people, like Steve Wright, totally got it, made it their own and just conjured up endless hours of magic out of frankly not very much but you know it took a lot of effort on his part absolutely to make it look so seamless yeah i mean it just it was that it was a crazy crazy program that just brought so much happiness and company and comfort and joy to so many millions of people so uh, we i mean i know fee um, has talked about this too uh, and we'll certainly talk about it next week when she gets back but yeah very very much missed yeah. absolutely um this is another quite long email, so please forgive me, Celia, who's written it, if I summarise a little bit of it, because um, it, it's it's a wonderful email and an emotional email, um, so please forgive me for not reading out every bit of it. Um, but Celia's written in, 
because you were talking about egg harvesting oh, yeah. and the issues around storing of eggs, which recently has been in the news. Um, and a correspondent story that we read out before relating to a daughter in her 20s who'd been diagnosed with cancer and decided to freeze her eggs before her treatment started. Now, Celia's daughter was faced with a very similar um, situation, but unfortunately it was told that they couldn't wait for her to have the hormone treatment to stimulate her, her eggs in time uh, to have the egg retrieval and harvest before she needed to start the treatment. Um, so unfortunately, she was told there was just no time. Um, she all And, you know, she says her daughter was, it was in her 20s and really, really did want to start a family and was heartbroken um, to not be able to have that treatment. But, you know, of course, her family just wanted her to get well. Yeah. Um, so jump to a little over two years later, says Celia, and after six rounds of chemotherapy, happily, her daughter is still with us, living in a new city and with a new job and thankfully free from cancer. She was mostly treated at Christie's in Manchester and is still involved with the teens and the young adults group there. We do not know how seriously this whole process has affected her fertility, but it's certainly not helped. And if she had been able to freeze her eggs when she was a healthy 23-year-old, she would have jumped at it. But sadly, it did not work out for her. I do hope that other your other correspondent's daughters had happier times of being able to make that decision and the ability for the NHS to be able to support young people to enhance their fertility options is just wonderful. Um, I just want to say, Celia, thank you so much for writing in about this because, you know, for whatever reason, someone isn't able to go through with their family planning in the way that they thought they might is obviously you know really hard and i speak yeah. from personal experience on this you know i've been through ivf which didn't work so i really do know that it's it's difficult to come to terms with those things um your daughter is still very young and i i'm really hopeful that you know we make such great leaps in terms of fertility treatment every year and that hopefully there will be options by the time she wants to think about starting a family that you know, will be available to her um but i think it, it is a really difficult one you know, being made to make that choice of your treatment, your necessary treatment starting imminently and having a bit more time to think about your, your future self is just, it's a choice that nobody should have to make. And no. I really do feel for all of you in that. Um, on another note, she'd just like to say, um, Jane, that she's been listening to you and Fee, including at the other place for years, and she thinks that Dame Garvey has got a lovely ring to it. Um, so yeah. she certainly refers to you as mom. Uh, and will do if your paths ever cross. Yeah, I, I, I do think that... I hope by today I'd have a letter saying that Baroness Garvey has been appointed. Oh. Um, but I think maybe that's got lost in the post. Well, maybe, maybe next week. It's my birthday in June, and it's the significant birthday, so... That would be a nice gift. Uh, Millie actually has emailed to say, shouldn't it be the House of Lords and Ladies now? Um, yeah, with reference to the Absolutely. House of Lords. I mean, actually, why is it called the House of Lords? And then for years we had a Queen, but we were still the United Kingdom. Why were we not the United Queendom? Mm. And why should we? In fact, now I'm going to start a petition to be called the United Queendom while we've got a King. Because for years <laughs> with the UK, when we had a. Anyway, never mind. Um, actually, Millie's main point in the email is about Caroline Quentin. I just think her voice is such a comfort, says Millie. Uh, she was a guest earlier in the week. She's a national treasure. Whenever I hear her name, though, I'm reminded of my granny. Caroline starred in a short series called Life Begins in 2005. And it was the last programme my granny Myra watched before she died. One of those funny things we managed to laugh about 
despite the incredible grief. Uh, she lived with us for my whole life and I was 10 when she died. Um, she was truly a wonderful woman, devoted her retired life to helping her family, was it a committed Christian who would happily pray aloud whilst driving us to school, always starting, well, Lord. She was pleasant <laughs> to everyone and to our embarrassment always stuck, struck up conversations with strangers, but with a twinkle in her eye. Her favourite trick was to pretend she was cross with us and say, come here, and then just give us a big hug. She was everyone's adopted granny, but she was our real granny. And we still all miss her every day, despite her dying almost 20 years ago. Mm. Um, Millie, that's lovely. And thank you very much for your, your email and your very fond memories of your gran. Um, Can now, I just ask you on a Caroline Quentin note, yes? whether there was something going on with the universe that day? Because after off air, I went off to have my hair cut. And on my way home, thank you very much. On my way home, I suit your face. <laughs> thanks very much. Um, it's a good job, isn't it? Um, on my way home, my hairdresser texted me to check I got home all right because he's lovely, oh. and he said he'd been rewatching Jonathan Creek, and he'd been too young while watching it first time round to realise how amazing Caroline Quentin is. And I said that's very spooky because Jane interviewed him today, and I sent him the podcast to listen to. Mm. Isn't that spooky? Like Caroline Quentin, just you know. Gosh. Well, infiltrating she, everyone's lives on the same day. I think she she is one of those people who is um, kind of gently, if you like, part of the fabric of the yeah, nation. Absolutely, um, those, those people that ev almost everybody who's ever come across anything she's done likes. Yeah, and that's a gift that I'm going to say it. Not everybody has. It's very true. Now, let's talk cobblers. In the company of James Timpson, CEO of Timpson's, uh, it's a, if you're listening outside the United Kingdom, Timpson's is a very uh, kind of um, an establishment uh, shop here in the UK. It's up and down every, just about every high street in the land. And it does shoe repairs, watch repairs, uh, sells watch straps. It'll put a hole in your belt buckle. It sells shoelaces, shoelaces and a polish. And I mean, it's just, I mean, there's nothing glamorous. Key, it cuts key, keys. Key, key cutting. Uh, it's not glamorous. It is tremendously efficient and much loved. A little bit like Karen and Quentin. Although I don't think she'll thank me <laughs> for that comparison to a branch of a cobbling company or to a major cobbling company and the CEO is James Timpson he also has a kind of uh, another life really because Timpson specializes in employing former prisoners so he's also the chair uh, James of the prison reform trust so there's quite a lot about prison and prison reform in this interview and Timpson's uh, does pride itself just generally on being a great place to work there are some employee benefits you'll hear about things like you get your birthday off that's lovely. Yeah, which is lovely. I spent my birthday with you this year, though, which is yeah better than even having a day off. I think a lot of people would choose that option. Yeah. I really do. So here is James Timpson, CEO of Timpson's in the UK. And he, first of all, talked about how business was, bearing in mind that today we heard the news that Britain is officially in recession. Well, we're, we're quite an anomaly because when uh, business is brilliant for everybody else, we do OK. And when it's bad for everybody else, we still do okay because we're in the business of fixing things and repairing things. What we actually see is, is when things get really difficult, people actually bring more items in to get repaired because they don't want to buy new ones. But what we've seen from a sort of a retail perspective is that things were going pretty well up until mid-December. And since then, it has been a bit quieter. But for us, it's still actually pretty good. Um, we're not complaining. Parish, my finance director, hasn't had to come and have words with me yet. Mm. Uh, and we're sort of on, on track. But what I'm seeing is some high street businesses are doing really well. And the ones that have been doing badly are doing even worse. 
So there is um, there isn't a consistent picture. Okay, I mean, you have how many shops across the across the country? Timpsons, I'm talking about. Um, Two thousand one hundred shops across the country. So and over in Ireland as well. So we've got a pretty good idea of what's going on. Right. Okay. And as you say, um, you're in poorer areas. You're in rich areas. I happen to be. I think it was your Hanover Square Mayfair branch the other day because I was passing and I needed a, a watch strap. Um, I mean, you just do all sorts of stuff for all of us on a daily basis, and uh, you are renowned for the decent service. And I've got to say that over the years, things like having holes punched in belts has been done for me at Timpsons for free and that's something you encourage isn't it? Very much so so 4% of all of the transactions that we have are for free in fact if anything I'd much prefer we did more transactions for free because customers love it and even though we don't get any money although you may make a donation to charity we have a little charity box on the counter you remember it and you come back because you don't get much for free nowadays. Um, um, the shop you're referring to is actually a really handy shop for me as well because when I get the train down from London, mm. that's a really handy spot to leave my bag and use the loo at the back of the shop. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I didn't use the loo, but now I know it's there. I might pop in again. I kind of exactly. gave the impression that I was a Mayfair resident there. I need to make it very clear that I'm, so, I'm certainly not, but I happen to be in the area. Um, what about the fact that uh, we've had Rachel Reeves on Times Radio or certainly a clip of an interview with Rachel Reeves in which she fairly and squarely put the blame on Rishi Sunak. She's calling it Rishi's recession. What do you say to that? I mean, we've been battling a lot of things recently. So we've, you know, in our business, COVID was very, very difficult. Uh, when all of our shops were closed, we're not an online business. We were losing, I think, about a million pounds a week on average. So that was really difficult. So we came out of, out of that. And then we've had um, the energy crisis. Um, so, you know, th th there's an awful lot of... Um, unusual biz, um, economic um, factors that are impacting us. Higher interest rates, it, it, higher interest rates actually suits us because um, we got cash in the bank. So we're at, for the first time in a long time, we're making profit on our, on our money in the bank. But there is a lot of instability. But even now, if I look at our business, so our energy costs are coming down, mm -hmm. our rents are coming down by about 30% still. So that's significant numbers. But our, our biggest cost is what we pay our colleagues. And that is going up more than I've ever known in the 20 odd years I've been running the business. And with the national living wage going up again in April um, by 9.8%, that's going to have a big impact, not just on payroll costs, but also on prices, because we're all going to have to put our prices up to make money. But um, surely uh, businesses like yours, particularly yours, I mean, you really pride yourself on decent treatment for your employees. You're going to be happy, aren't you, to, relatively speaking, to cough up more for your staff? Yeah, it's really important to us. So we always pay more than the national minimum wage and our colleagues get weekly bonuses that are pretty substantial. But the other thing that we do is we have lots of benefits for colleagues, so holiday homes, lots of um, days off for, for special events, um, dreams come true schemes and all this kind of stuff. And when times are difficult, what we've learned is we need to do more of that. So if we, if we do see a sort of bit of a drop in sales, we'll probably just go and buy another couple of holiday homes as part of our package to inspire our colleagues even more. Because... Right. Because when you've got one colleague in a shop, it's, it's quite hard to become more efficient. You can't have less than one person in a shop. So the, the, the nature of our business is what can we do to increase sales rather than save costs? Yeah, I mean, I've got a quote from the book, actually. You say, we do zero market research. We've never had a budget meeting. We never borrow money from a bank. We just focus on how we can inspire happy 
colleagues. I mean, all this is, I don't know, a, a land of absolute milk and honey and free apple pie at about four o'clock every afternoon. Is it that wonderful? It, it works. And one of the things that amazes me is that the more time and money we invest in looking after our colleagues, helping them when they've got problems, most of those problems are away from work, the more loyal they are and the the better they serve customers. So rather than focusing on all these sort of businessy type things like marketing budgets and and but and forecasts and all this sort of stuff, just focus on really on what you can do to inspire your colleagues. Saying that, there are some colleagues that don't really like our culture. I would say there's you know we, our, our colleague turnover is about fourteen percent, which is pretty low for retail. Mm. But there are always people who join us, and it's not for them. They don't like working in retail, standing up all day putting their hands in people's shoes sometimes. Um, but it's our job to make sure that our fantastic people work alongside people who are also fantastic. Yeah. So that, that sometimes we have to have those difficult conversations. You do write in the Happy Index about uh, CVs. And I thought it was really interesting that y- you say you, you literally don't give a damn whether someone's got a 2-1 in... Um, I don't know, archaeology or biochemistry or whatever it might be, all you really need to put on a CV is your name and your contact details. Is it that simple? Yes, because what we're looking for is something you can't find on a CV, which is personality. So you may be the world's best shoe repairer or photo processor, but if you're moody, unreliable, uh, dishonest and grumpy... um, our customers don't want you to be in our shops and our colleagues certainly don't want you to be in our shops. So what we find is just recruit on personality and then train for skill. So Jane, I, when I could teach you to repair watches in about a week and key cutting within about um, three or four months, but I can't teach you to have a different personality than you have. And what we've learned, just recruit on personality and it makes life a lot easier. Uh, we've had a, just a brief conversation earlier in the programme uh, this afternoon about the so-called economically inactive. And I'm always a bit wary of using that term because I know people find it insulting and there are some good reasons why some people cannot be a part of the workforce. But a recurring theme on the text this afternoon has been people around the same age as me, actually, 59, who just feel that employers don't look at them, won't look at them. Would Timpsons look at somebody in their late 50s with a view to employing them? Very much so. Very, very much so. And it's um, and it's, it's a really good um, cohort for us to recruit from because they know how to work. They, they're really up for the challenge and um, it, and they, they, they seem to be able to learn the skills that we have in our, in, in our business really well. I mean, you know, we, we don't just recruit people of, of, of your age. We recruit people of your age who, who've just come out of prison as well. So we're, we're, we're sort of a big believer in second chances. Let's talk about um, your policy of recruiting former prisoners because I think, according to the book, it began for you uh, when you would visit uh, Style Prison in Cheshire and actually, coincidentally, I, I've, I have been inside Style myself to, to uh, in, uh, for a work project and it's a pretty bleak place, actually, with, I have to say, with some phenomenal staff doing their very best and some very, very interesting people serving sentences there as well. But you were there because your mum was a foster carer? That's right, yeah. I was brought up with foster children, as were my, with my brother and sister. And my mum, she used to have a lot of babies whose mums were still in style prison. So every week she used to go there on visits to bring the babies to go and see the mum. And we used to sit in the car, normally fight, um, when we were waiting for my mum to come back. And it always felt wrong to me that 
a baby was taken away from their mother. And I always wondered what went on the other side of the wall. So when I got the opportunity to go into a prison as an employer, about 22 years ago, I think it was, um, it was, you know, I, I really wanted to go and understand what went on. And the, the the first person I met was this young young guy called Matthew, who was 19 years old, and he was about to be released in three months' time, didn't have a job. I thought his personality, coming back to what we're talking about, the personality was absolutely brilliant. So I offered him a job and it sort of went on from there. And you also, um, well, you now have a role with the Prison Reform Trust, don't you? Um, you're still doing that. Yeah, I, I chair the it's wonderful Prison Reform Trust. So I've got one more year to go. And it's the, the work they do is, is so important, just representing prisoners and their families, because we're dealing with the most complex people in the country in a system that is the most complex system in the country. Is the prison, British prison system any good? I mean, I say that because I think just this week there was a report about Bedford Prison. The, I mean, it was literally rat and cockroach infested. How, how is that possible in a country like ours in 2024? So let me let me give you some positives first before I go on to the problems. Um, if you speak to and lots of people who work with us who've been through the prison system, they will say that one prison officer helped change their life, was inspirational, um, sh showed them kindness, give, gave them direction and leadership. There are incredible things that happen in prison and people really do turn their lives around. But saying that, at the moment, there are a lot of challenges in the prison system, partly because the numbers of, of prisoners in the system, it is full. I think last week there were 1,200 spare beds and it's got down to less than 50 in, in, in other weeks. And that means there's an awful, there's, there's, it's very difficult to actually make the system work. And then if you add on the problems of um, short staffing, it means that, that, that men and women are in their cells for far too long. They're not getting to education. They're not getting to activities. And that is when you get the problems. The, what you talk about with, with Bedford, um, um, I know Charlie Taylor, um, and I think he's a really good he chief inspector. He is the, the chief inspector, yeah. He's excellent. And um, I've, I've been on prison inspections before, and I, I've seen similar things. And it's about standards and it's about decency. And while someone may have failed society and they are um, locked up in, in prison, it doesn't mean that we can treat them um, in, in, a, in a way that's not going to help them um, come back into society as a normal person um, with an understanding of how society works. We need to treat them with decency. and We need to give them an opportunity to turn their life around. That is why standards in a prison is really important. In fact, when, when I go into a prison, if I see litter in the, in the grounds and on, on the grass, I always know there's a problem. There will be more self-harm in a prison the more litter there is. Um, and it is a real problem. Well, I think you take the same approach, don't you, to, to branches of Timpsons. Um, I mean, I, do you make these impromptu visits? They don't know you're coming, do they? No. So what happens at the start of the day, I just turn. I always like to get to the first shop of the day before it opens. And by the time we get to lunchtime, the jungle drums have, have gone round. Right, so they, they know you're on manoeuvres. Yeah. So it's uh, so so by the time the afternoon comes, all the shops are spotless. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. 
every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. My guest is the boss of Timpsons, James Timpson. Now, James, actually, I was going to ask you earlier, and I apologise for going back to the subject, but um, you don't presumably employ every sort of ex-offender, do you? No, we don't. We don't employ sex offenders. We don't employ people who've got significant drug and alcohol problems. And we don't recruit people. The way I describe it is they haven't come to the end of their criminal life. Um, so I would say if you think of 100 people who leave prison, we would be interested in interviewing maybe 20 to 30 of them, of which we may take on four or five. That's sort of how the numbers work. And how um, revolutionary was it um, when you first started taking an interest in former prisoners? And who else does it now? Well, when I first started, the, the, it was only a few sort of engineering companies, um, roadwork, railway companies that used to employ people from prison. So when I first started, I didn't tell anybody. And I probably did it for about four or five years. And then I told everybody in the business and outside because basically there were a few bad headline stories. Um, the worst one I ever had was Killer Cobbler Cuts Keys in the Belfast Evening Telegraph. So I thought I needed to sort of fess up and tell everybody what I was doing. Right. And the reaction from my colleagues was, the people you've recruited are brilliant. Could you go and get me some more? And so we sort of made our mistakes along the way. We opened up some training academies um, and we sort of worked out how to do it. So now one in nine of my colleagues is someone with prison experience. And they're all throughout the whole business and in different levels of seniority and so on. So, so to, be, to be clear, somebody who had been someone who broke into houses is now someone who's trained to cut keys. Exactly. You know, when you said before about we don't have a marketing department, that's probably not a bad thing. <laughs> um, but I think I think we do have probably some customers who know that we employ people in prison and choose not to come to our shops. But I think we probably have more people that do choose to come to us because we give people a second chance. But when you, when you meet these people and understand why they... Um, have committed crimes and why they went to prison. Um, there's lots of cases of um, people being in the care system, um, mental health, um, addiction problems, and so on. I'm sure you know you're what you're well aware of, of all these issues of people you've spoken to over the years, and they just need a second chance. So if you talk about where we are now, there are more companies employing people from prison than ever before. Um, over 30% of people who leave prison are in a job after six months. And there are amazing businesses, you know, Greggs, um, Halfords, um, a lot of retailers cook. And and um, it's got to the stage now where I think if you don't recruit someone mm. with a criminal record, you're not a diverse employer. Because one in four men over the age of 18 in this country have a criminal conviction more than a driving offence. So we're talking about a lot of people, a lot of talent. It is true, though, isn't it, that there are absolutely no votes to be won in prison reform and in making prisons better better at rehabilitation. Exactly. And the, the real problem is we're addicted to punishment in this country, despite there's n there is no evidence anywhere in the world that increasing prison sentences reduces crime, but we keep 
increasing the length of time people go to prison for. And, you know, our prison population, I think it's 84,000 men and women locked up tonight, is going to be pretty soon over 100,000. And that's 100,000 uh, people of which 99% will come back into society. Um, and when I go around prisons and meet these men and women on the wings, um, a lot of them are there for so long, they just lose complete hope. They lose their families, they lose their careers, um, and they lose their sense of purpose in life. So when they are released, that, that, that it's, it's going to be hard for them to get a job and they're going to be more reliant on the state than ever before. You do acknowledge in the Happy Index, your book about running on how to run a happy place of work, that you have made mistakes. And uh, I think you find yourself guilty of something called entrepreneuritis. Uh, just define that for me. Well, it's, an it's a word I invented, so it it's probably grammatically incorrect. But the, one of the problems about business people is when they become quite successful, they have this fear that it's always going to go wrong because like in our business, like lots of other businesses, you know, we've run out of money a few times and you think everything's going to be a disaster, especially in COVID when we thought we we're going to go bust. And there's this sort of, you want to cash in your chips and de-risk everything. So there's this incentive to always want to sell the business. And then I've seen it so many times, people sell the business. Um, they have this dream of taking it easy, buying a house in Mallorca, going on lots of holidays and within six months, they're desperate to get back into business again um, because that's what they love. So um, I'm a big believer in we're a family business. We keep going despite the ups and downs. Yeah. And in the in the uh, COVID and pandemic period, you you obviously were assuming that, you know, really the worst could, could happen to you because you did have to shut, didn't you, for quite a chunk of time. But you carried on paying your rent. Yeah. So I I, I was a bit naive, really. I thought, oh, this is going to last for three or four weeks. I'm always sort of on the positive side of things. And so I said to all my colleagues, right, I'm going to pay you 100% all the way through. And I wrote to all of our landlords and all of our suppliers to say, I'm going to honour every contract we signed. I'm going to pay every bill that's due. Um, thinking, as I said, it'd, be like, it'd last about three or four weeks. And then when we were on week 14, and I'd lost, I think, I think we lost £29 million pounds, um, until things started to turn around. But I knew the values of the business and the culture that we had, that it was more important for me to look after everybody and do what we do what we'd promised than go back on that. So it cost us a lot of money, um, but I know we supported our colleagues during difficult times. But it was pretty hairy. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you also acknowledge that you you do make mistakes, and you bought a hotel for your workforce, uh, and everything was free there. I think they they got a free holiday. But the only problem was that although they loved their colleagues, they didn't necessarily want to go on holiday with them. Yeah, I hadn't worked that one out. I assumed everyone would really like it because John Lewis, uh, the John Lewis partnership have four hotels. Right. I remember speaking to them about, yeah, everyone loves it. It's great. So I bought this hotel and realised pretty quickly that it wasn't going to work. So then basically we knocked it down and built a restaurant. It's a, a place, it's, it's a restaurant called the Oyster Catcher in Ross Niger. So it's actually fortunately... In the end, it's turned out OK, but it was a bit of a disaster at the time. Right. Um, and you'll like, very finally, uh, you'll like this story from Lois James. I love Timpsons. Employing ex-prisoners worked out well here in Taunton. When the upmarket jewellers next door to them were the target of an armed raid, a member of the public told the staff in Timpsons, who ran next door, floored the criminals and called the police. Brave and charming staff. There you go. Um, there's a very positive ringing endorsement there from Lois. Well, that was uh, a really a good text that just basically backed up the notion that Timpsons was a great shop that employed great people. And that was from Lois in Somerset. So thanks to her for texting in. Uh, you are free to listen to Times Radio. There's an app. 
It doesn't cost you anything. And there's a range of stations available. Sport, sport, <laughs> talk, all sorts. Mm. Music. Yeah, and all, and all the podcasts. And all, all the, podcasts. the podcasts. Yeah, you won't, But mainly this one. You won't miss anything. If you get the Times Radio app, it's also nothing to pay. There's no, can I emphasise this more? There's nothing to pay. Once more. You don't. It's free, all right? God's sake, it's free. The Times Radio app, it's free. Right. Uh, have a lovely, abrasing couple of days. Weirdly, it's turned very spring-like here in London. It can't last, can it? Oh, God, no. It'll be raining tomorrow. Yes. Or Saturday, whatever day we have off. And it'll be bleak and insufferable next week. It's but by Wednesday. But Feek Lover's back after her. I'm sure it'll have been a very... Which is the real arrival of spring, yeah, surely. Which absolutely is. My personal crocus will burst forth. <laughs> Right, Jane, though, thank you so much for your company. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'll be listening in next week to hear all about bra sex and everyone's opinions. Bra sex. That was Jane's idea. Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Running a bank? I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm sorry. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.